Welcome to Misinformation, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. And here we are. Awesome. Hello, thank you for joining us. My name is Rebecca Jones. I am misinformational herself, joined always by the very lovely, lovely and appropriately decorated of her house, uh, Dr. Cindy Banyai. How are you? Yeah, fantastic. You have to decorate in Florida. Otherwise, you don't know what time it is of the year it is because it's yeah. like the same every day. So. Yeah, I mean, I have my tree. You know, true story about my life. I didn't actually. I wasn't able to celebrate Christmas until I was seven or eight and living actually in Maryland, about a half an hour from where I live now. Um, my family, we had four kids. My mom had all four of us by the time that she was 21 and worked, you know, all hours of day and night and uh, could not afford to do it. And so my very first Christmas was Hagerstown, Maryland. I think I was seven. Um, and, uh, my dad was at that time working at us as a car salesman, which is, I know so cheesy and lame, but it was the first time we could afford it. And ever since then, they couldn't really go back, even though we've, we've had harder times since then. Um, but yes, that was my, my first Christmas and I'm usually all gung ho about it, but this year I've just have been depressed, but at any rate, before we start this episode, um, I want to explain why we were not here last week and pop in a bit of fact checking and encourage you to be proactive. So Wednesday morning, I was getting ready to go to DC for the whole White House thing. And I took my COVID test at home, like I was told to, and it was negative. So I did my hair really super cute. I had like a partial updo and I had like pinned in like garland in the back. So it it looked really good and this beautiful green dress. I was shocked it still fit me. I bought it during the campaign. I wore it once. Um, I get there and I failed the temperature check. And I, w- I felt fine. Like, it was very strange. But, uh, you know, out of an abundance of caution, I was like, well, fuck. I mean, Evie had been sick a few days before that. So I wasn't sure. I, I started to head back. I was, like, super peeved and disappointed in myself and my luck. And on the ride home... I got hit like it was like somebody had hit me in the head and in the chest with a chair. And um, I felt like I couldn't breathe all of a sudden and I needed water. By the time I got home, I had I was inside five minutes, still had my big outside winter coat on and um, next to the fireplace under blankets and could not get warm like at all. And so it turns out I had the flu Mm. really, really bad bout of flu, which is, you know, makes sense because I had it a year ago on Election Day. And um, I postponed getting my flu shot. This is entirely my fault. I suffered because of bad decisions. And um, it was I was frustrated with having to schedule the flu and the COVID ones differently. And then I made all the appointments for both my kids. And because my daughter's five, I had to do her stuff differently than I could do with my son. And so I made like five trips to the pharmacy. And I was like, fuck it, I'll do the flu one before you know Christmas or something. I paid for that. Um, <laughs> I, if you, anybody was wondering why well, she hasn't posted in Twitter in two days, and that's because I was in bed, partially passed out while watching The Crown and other stuff, and it was miserable. My fever almost got up to 103, wow. and um, I was just knocked the fuck out by the flu. And so, um, please get your flu shots. You know, just a reminder, you cannot... It is it's not actually possible for you to get the flu from a flu shot. That is a common conspiracy theory promoted by anti-vaxxers. You cannot get the flu from a flu shot. And while the flu shot is not going to totally you know, make it a 0% chance you get the flu, right. it's going to help make sure that you don't spend two days you know, not eating or drinking anything, watching the crown in your sweaty sheets, but while you're freezing with like nothing being able to help you. Um, so that is twice in a year, two, two times in the last year I've gotten the flu because I pushed it off that it was really bad that my fever nearly got 103 and I'm 34 years old and relatively healthy. And so this, 
people like keep saying, oh, it's just a bad flu. The flu itself is bad. You know, oh, yeah, the flu kills thousands of people a year. Yeah, Fifty thousand people a year on average. I mean, so it's it, it yeah. gets really, really bad. It's not fun, you know, yeah. especially for people in low income communities or where you're dependent upon a you know day job. You can't just take a week off. So this is right. I failed. I failed massively. I apologize to myself and society. Um, well, we're glad you're better, but I, I think that that's important for people to know that the there is a lot of misinformation out there, and the anti-vax thing is still going strong. And now they've they've went from just the COVID to including the flu and all these other stuff. Um, but the flu vaccination is very safe. There's a ton of evidence that proves that it's very safe uh, for children, for pregnant women, for seniors. Um, there is oftentimes a, a topical reaction sometimes. I know that's what always gets me. It looks like I have a giant mosquito bite on my arm. Um, and so you stab yourself with any sharp, pointy, tiny thing. So, and that's not, that's not actually anything in the, the shot that's doing that. It's right. what happens when you shove a needle in your arm. Right. It's a skin irritation the uh, thing that happens and, you know, sometimes people feel a little bit bad and then that's why they say, oh, this is the flu. Like, no. The flu is much worse. And yes, it does actually kill people. That was one of the things that really boggled my mind during COVID and just how ill-informed people are is they were saying, oh, it's just, you know, it's just like the flu. It's just a bad flu. And well, yeah, but like the flu actually kills that's people. And that's why they invented a vaccine for it. Yeah. I mean, this is the the majority of the types of flu that are still in circulation, you know, are have ancestors back to 1918, H1N1 influenza. Right. And so it's it's insane that and I, i'm actually working on a section of my book about this right now how we repeated almost the exact same fucking mistakes 100 years later that made it so that their flu 100 years ago 105 years ago now um still comes around every single fucking year and kills people and i was i actually was writing this at like 1 30 in the morning it's probably why it's the first like middle of the night tweet i've ever made and thinking about how you know ignorant and you know hubris of just a handful of men during the pandemic condemned us to generations of disease and death and you know that's it's it's just it's crazy but and not only that's the long term but it's like actually made the short term impacts worse politicized it and have actually decreased the total number of young people that are receiving all of their vaccines. So we've seen a resurgence of a whole bunch of different types of diseases, polio, um, was it measles was making a comeback too. And that's, that's all intermittently coming back because of like enclaves of anti-vaxxers across the country. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a shame because we we have forgotten, like collectively forgotten what it meant, where a bunch of kids uh, growing up uh, were paralyzed from polio. Right. Like uh, yep. FDR. We even had a president. Right. Like but we we get removed from it and people don't understand anymore and they get somewhat complacent in the place that they are and thinking that, oh, everything is fine. But wait a minute. No, we're fine because of science and investment in technologies and government policy and doctors who cared, right? And researchers who cared to put time and effort into making this world a better place by getting knowledge on how to prevent various types of diseases. And but it's always breaks my heart. I'm like an academic. It's not all of that. It's just a global conspiracy by the people who want world domination to make sure that we put microchips in our bodies. That is so much more of a reasonable approach to that my favorite my favorite response to that was like uh everybody's already carrying a device <laughs> I know, it's like, that tracks everything that they want as, you, that as you tweet that from your phone that tracks you but you know whatever all right, right no, so it's, it's that bill gates putting cross-section yeah into the flu um it's serious shit and it kills a lot of people and I'm kind of, I'm obviously very glad I was turned away <laughs> because that would have been very bad. Um, Why do, you don't want to give that to Joey B. Yeah, I know. Uh, or any, anybody else because it's, you know, it's a contagious infectious disease. So you spread it and it spreads and then goes on forever. And that's how we end up in a pandemic. So one of the stories that I wanted to talk about that I didn't get to was actually from Thanksgiving week. And it's going to start off our whole disinfo breakdown. And that was the, um, 
GOP described border attack. I think it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Oh, or maybe when Rainbow Bridge. Bridge. Yes, Rainbow Bridge. Now, I have a post already up about this because I started Does that mean it's into a gay bridge or a Jesus bridge? I'm kind of surprised nobody made that, like, joke either. But, you know, the, the, the just speed with which the story became a absolute nutcase. I, I could not believe it, to be honest. I mean, I, sh I should believe it. I was surprised it took hold so quickly, I think. Yeah. Um, considering there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to support anything that was being said. So if you remember, there was um, an explosion, as it was first reported, at the right. Rainbow Bridge between the U.S. and Canada, I think in Niagara Falls. Right, the and New York uh, side. Yes, well, that was not clear at first. So as with any breaking development, there is not going to be a ton of investigative information as something is happening specifically right. because it's still fucking happening um so it, you can't just expect anybody to all of a sudden know everything that's going on i will say that uh new york responded with in an abundance of caution which yes delayed a lot of people's plans but had this been not been an accident um was the right call so what happened was the story breaks, there's an explosion at, at the border. That's the only information that has been verified as a fact from official is that there was an explosion from a vehicle at the border. And I actually put on there like, not to, that's all that we know. Let's leave it there. I put it on Twitter as like, until we get more information. A Fox News reporter citing her high ranking official anonymous sources said that she was told it was a terrorist attack. And from there, it went batshit crazy. I mean, nobody in the GOP even, like, hesitated. And most of the tweets that they posted are still up there. Um, Ted Cruz. Why not? Yeah, I know, right? Ted Cruz, who's never shame, doesn't do the shame delete. Um, I don't understand why people are so weird about deleting. If I misspell something or if I think it sounded stupid the day after, I'm just going to delete it. It's like, I don't owe you a fucking explanation. I don't care. But um, Laura Loomer was also one of them. Uh, before any information is in, they're just calling it a terrorist attack. And every other network who normally would be like wanting to get the scoop and wanting to jump on that bandwagon was actually restraining themselves. And I thought that was... That's different than what we normally see. Normally, they just all jump on. If one news station's yeah. got it, they're going to repeat it like it's fact. They didn't do that this time. They were very much, we don't know what's happening right now. There's no details have been confirmed. But my God, once one Fox News reporter said it, all of Fox News was reporting it. All right. of the Republican politicians and, right. I guess, influencers um, were saying it. They were blaming Joe Biden um, right. for it. They, the big thing was, is they were saying- It wasn't even that, at the right border that they blamed Biden No, they for. misreported where the actual explosion occurred, which they painted as somebody from Canada trying to get into the United States, when in fact it occurred on the United States side of the border. And um, there, somebody invented a conspiracy at some point that an Iranian passport was found next to the exploded vehicle, because that's what happens if you have a passport in your car when your car fully explodes with munitions, yeah. your passport magically comes out completely fine and just sits right next to your car. <laughs> right into the hands of like it's the Matthew, what is it? You know? uh, born. What's it really name? is, you know, Matt Damon. A, yeah, a miracle thing. Um, but that started to, and then there were rumors about how many people were in the car and all these other things. And so basically, because of the natural situation of it being developing news, people just started making shit up. And these yeah. aren't, you know, people that, these are news people. And yes, Fox News is full shit. We know that. But their breaking news reporters usually are not just lying about having confirmation that something's a terrorist attack if it's not. That is well, I was going to say, I would like, I kind of saw this going over. I, I immediately, I looked at it. First of all, I was like, oh my God, is it Detroit? And then it wasn't Detroit. And I'm like, I, I no longer care because um, I'm from Detroit. So, uh, but anyway, so the second thing for me is 
no one would confirm it's a terrorist attack on the first day immediately after it anyway. Like there would, even if it was, like even if it was, there would be no high level official that would say it's a terrorist attack well, immediately. They just don't say it like had, that. Like immediately took credit or, you know, posted something. Then it, you could at least say that are investigating it as a suspected terrorist attack. Right. That never but even happened. That there usually, was, think about all of the recent ones where there was, you know, terrorism or something akin to that. You know, the 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 Boston bombing, right? You know, and that was even like, oh, we don't know. And it seems well, like- Well, I don't know. Um, that one's kind of, that's a different one. I mean, yes, it's technically an act of terrorism. I think it's more of an uh, act of mass murder because i mean with the brother situation and and one of them well they were radicalized and all this other crap yeah, but, but here's the thing really is like, that's what, well here's the other thing terrorism is fucking made up anyway so like i like this is there there's a, an, an an official definition of terrorism and the vast majority of things that are described between people as terrorism is not actually attacked and in order to be fit the definition of terrorism it has to it's an act that is committed with the sole intent of causing fear based on a right. political or religious or some right. other kind of identity ideology. That is the crux of what yep. defines terrorism. It's the point of inflicting fear and terror on people because of a political or religious or whatever motivation. Um, which is why I, I kind of steer away from the Boston thing because yes, the one brother had a lot of professed religious stuff, but the one who ran him over and killed him um, the younger one didn't was not like that at all. And apparently he's like a psychopath and just wanted to kill some people and was like, cool, that's fun. Uh, so well, guess what? There's a lot of those too, right? Um, you know, and the vast no majority, by the way, facts time here, the vast majority of terrorist attacks do not occur in the United States or Western Europe. It is actually in the Middle East, typically in the places where we had long-term conflicts, Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, Syria, Yemen. And uh, guess what? Israel now, too. These were the places where there were, quote, terrorist attacks that were defined as such according to that international definition. Yeah. And then you also get into with the, the Israel-Gaza conflict of whether or not you are going to use the word terrorism or you're going to use act of war. And so that's we're not going to touch it because nobody's allowed to talk about that. Um but yeah, so I don't know how we got back. Well, it's oh. only terrorism if you yes. don't have an official state. And they're supposed to have a two-state solution. So. Frankly, they are a state. Uh, the United Nations recognizes um, them <laughs> as their own independent nation. And they are the governing body that determines whether or not a country is a country. So they are their own country. Um, but we're not, like I said, no, we've. I've done, um, I got a lot of shit for fact-checking all that stuff, which now every major media outlet has confirmed that everything that we fact-checked on this podcast and in my post was correct, yep. as we told yep. you, even though it was unpopular. Yep. Uh, from beheaded babies to, um, oh, what were some of the other ones we did? Oh, the hospital bombing that was actually yep. done by Israel. Uh, even though they were like, oh, no, of course we wouldn't. Like, yeah, they fucking did. Everybody knew they did it. And then they went and bombed all the other hospitals. Well, they'd already bombed 51 by that point in like a matter of weeks. And so it wasn't just that either. Then they made fake video and tried to say yep. that it was showing it. And the New York Times is like, hold up. They retracted their story saying there was video that showed that it was caused by you know Hamas rocket being deflected. Um, and we're like, we're our bad. This is false. And it raises a whole bunch of other alarms. It's like, no shit. We told you that. At any rate. Um, the Rainbow Bridge, what actually happened was a middle-aged man and woman driving a $300,000 car, apparently. I didn't even know cars cost that much, but apparently they do. Or something like a Bentley or... I was going to say a Bentley. I was like, what's cost off $300,000 Bentley? It was a Bentley. Um, coming back from, I think, a casino and going to a KISS concert. We're doing something like three and a half times the speed limit when their vehicle, and there's video of the whole yeah. fucking thing, when their vehicle hit a curb and just launched into the air. I mean, it, it soared and then it hit a uh, concrete pillar and exploded because that's what happens when you have a car projectile flying into a hard, you know, non-bending surface with an engine at that speed. And so that's what the, the whole, it was a tragic accident. Um, 
It involved two, and they were Americans. I think they were from Michigan or some Minnesota, one of those M states. I'm not going to claim that. <laughs> one of those states um, nearby, or maybe even New York, I'm not sure, um, who just happened to crash into the Canadian border. Like, little area and the car exploded because that's that happens when you hit something at high speed that was the whole of it and instead of you know being reasonable people and being like oh there was an accident and we're investigating and we don't know holy crap all these all right people were taking images from you know the scene and saying oh look here's where you know the detonation device was or oh you could see the the burn pattern, like none of y'all are fucking experts in burn patterns. What the hell is happening here? How many right. like, do you have an entire like house full or storage container full of hats of every possible expertise that exists on the planet? And you just go grab. Oh no, one. they don't care so about expertise. What happens? Um, there no, were everybody's you know, everybody's a, a, a at home forensic analyst analyst since nine eleven. Who? Everybody's an at-home forensic oh, yeah. analysis since 9-11. Yeah. So especially and, and, like, the, like none of you know what the fuck you're talking about. None of you know anything. You looked, oh, I looked at a picture that they said this was a burn pattern, and it looks kind of the similar to me. So I determined in my Twitter expert, you know, opinion that these two things are the same. It's it's absolutely batshit crazy <laughs> that people think that they know what they're actually talking about. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, it's a, that's the Dunning Kruger. Yeah. Uh, Ted Cruz and, and all these other people were blaming Joe Biden for our open borders for this white couple that crashed their fucking Bentley into a pillar, you know, going from casino to kiss concert of all things, um, which is, I guess that's middle-aged white people do. But yeah, um, it is what middle-aged white people for the Midwest And they were do. like, oh, we need to close the borders. This is war. This is an act of terrorism. And of course, everybody traveling on the second most traveled day in America, which is the day before Thanksgiving, side note, the first one is the Sunday after, um, was panicking. They're afraid. Like people started rumors that LaGuardia Airport was going to be shut down. That never happened. That was never at risk of happening. You right. know, that people were afraid to like just leave their house to go see their families. And um, it, it just completely spun out of control. And none of those people have apologized for any of that. They've not been like, maybe next time, or you know what, not maybe. I promise next time to not base my hysterical tweeting that might cause some kind of conflict, you know, some domestic response that um, we'll get to in a sec, to make sure that it's, you know, an actual thing that's happening. But they didn't. Um, and sorry, apparently right this minute, my husband decided it was absolutely imperative to take the trash out. No, it's fine. I've had my daughter's like half of her head, like blonde head, just popping around occasionally. <laughs> I'm just like, so, are you fucking for real right now? <laughs> everybody takes out the trash. You know, we don't want to be ready to be human. Yep, just has to be exactly when we're recording this podcast. Guys. Oh, come on. Bitch, show some love. You're like a newlywed still. I am. At least it's, I'm so very grateful. He's taking out the trash. Okay. I just like wish it wasn't while we were recording. So <sighs> don't get picky about it. Trust me. I've been with the same person for like 15 years now. And if they're doing chores, just let them fucking do it. Um, unless it's the dishwasher and they load it wrong and you know, you're just going to have to like move everything around anyways. I just tell my husband, don't, don't, I don't know how you're a grown man and don't know how to do this, but just stop. I think he's doing it wrong on purpose just to get out of it. Could be. Uh, some kind of uh, psychological torture. But um, at any rate, so that that was the whole of it. And it, of course, it caused fear and panic and, and some very real consequences. Not the least of which is what actually happened the next day in Ireland. So when, you know, there's an explosion at the border of the United States and we have senators calling it a terrorist attack, um, blaming Muslim people, uh, because of course they're the scapegoat. They're the first people who could possibly, you know, do something like that. Um, the next day there was an actual terrorist attack in Dublin, Ireland. And when we talk about this word, we already said that terrorism is, you know, acts of violence meant to cause fear based on a political, religious, some other kind of ideology. So there was, a, I think, a mentally ill 52-year-old man in Ireland who um, stabbed four people. Well, first of all, it's, it's not national news if someone, if 100 people get stabbed in America. You know, if four people get shot, we don't even really cover it anymore. 
So the fact that this was like the biggest national tragedy to ever happen in Ireland makes me think I'm living in the wrong country if four people getting stabbed causes turmoil. But a group of already triggered because of what happened at the Rainbow Bridge people who are, you know, influential on the far right, including some boxer dude. I don't, God, I cannot remember his name. Gregor, is that his name? There's like a Could be. Or is it Tito Ortiz? No, I think it was like, when we just moved here after. and I'm tired of crazy people moving to my town. Ooh, McGregor's the actor. I think George Connor McGregor. Connor is. McGregor. Yeah, that's it. Um, he was involved in it and a whole bunch of far right people Andrew were Tate. actually actively encouraged to take to the streets and they started burning cars and buses. They started oh, beating people up. Um, it was a wave of violence across Dublin that shut the capital of the country down. That is how bad it was. Uh, last I checked, they arrested like 40 some people in connection with wow. it. And um, within a day had already identified it as a nationalist um, white terrorist attack. But nobody talked about it. So fake terrorist attack on Wednesday it travels the whole world and partially leads to the tensions that contributed to an actual terrorist attack the next day mm -hmm. by far right people in Dublin to the point where they had to shut down the fucking city. Yeah. But they're like anti-immigrant hate and all that other shit, right. even though this, that wasn't what, it wasn't a terrorist attack. What happened? You know, it was a mentally ill person who stabbed people. And um, that got like no coverage at all. Because when white people commit terrorism, apparently we just don't talk about it, even though pretty much the entire government of Ireland was in immediate condemnation, like no matter what their political parties were, you know, saying that this kind of, you know, terrorism on domestic terrorism is not going to be tolerated. Um, it is unacceptable to be rioting and burning the, you know, vehicles and hurting people because of your, your fringe ideology. And, uh, we don't see that really here. Uh, you know, we we had a Nazi march in what was it, South Carolina, or Charlottesville, Virginia, or you talking recently? I would think Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Charlottesville, Virginia, yes, the University Virginia, of Virginia, in which there were good people on both sides. Right, absolutely. So, the tiki um, I was really moved by how strongly all of the Ireland like representatives came out and just were like, this is horrific. This is unacceptable. We will not tolerate this. This is white, you know, nationalist extremism. And, you know, it's clearly a worse problem than we were appreciating. We're going to start cracking down on it. And I was like, fuck yeah, Ireland. But when it, there was actual attack, nobody, nobody gave a shit. And it's, you can't, well, I don't know. I guess if you went through all of the social media things that were going on and the text messages of the people involved, you could can directly connect what happened at the rainbow bridge but there was discussion of it um on social media by these same people and uh who of course did not take it down or apologize and so it put people on edge and already freaking out about muslim terrorists that didn't exist uh, when this happened and so it was just uh, very disturbing that because we have this whole cadre of people, right, in the United States here uh, and around the world, I guess, um, that are basically super juiced with fear, right, and stoked nationalism, uh, you know, stoked racism, religious fervor, all this kind of stuff, that these types of response events, I think, are are going to be happening more often, frankly. Um, and that, that people are so on edge that if they think that something is really going down, that they're going to, they're going to take to the streets and do something crazy. I, I think that that's a, that's a real risk that we're running in this day and age. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen a lot of that again in the United States post, you know, October 7th too, is anytime. Yeah. Anything involving a protest happens in the United States on either side. There's all of these just absolutely insane and false stories. I mean, there was, um, and, and there are real victims though, too. And right. I mean, their first kind of national story was about the seven-year-old boy who was murdered by his white landlord for being Muslim. Right. And uh, his mother was attacked as well. And these were people they knew 
and like a guy who played with them and, you know, knew their family and cared about them. He he attacked and killed this child um, because of that. More recently, there were three students, um, Palestinian students who were walking home from or to their family or something like that. And a man just shot them from his front porch. Three of them. Um, One of them is paralyzed from the chest down for life. And so the absolute do lead to violence. What's crazy is though, is I watched those closely and there didn't seem to be much, if any, misreporting on those two events as they happened. Um, it was pretty uh, Can I say why? <laughs> I'm going to speculate on why. Uh, first of all, those were real. Okay. Yeah, that's and true. And there were facts. And then they were reported by reputable journalists. <laughs> Yeah, but That's you didn't really have made up like, oh, there was a white gang, you know, or, or it was a Jewish gang that shot them. Nobody went there. Nobody suggested right. that. Um, there was no evidence to support it. Nobody went there. But if you compare that to two attacks from the other side, there was tons of misinformation being spread about a man who fell and hit his head and died at a protest or counter protest um, in California where people, the initial story was falsely reported as the old man was beaten to death right. uh, when confronted by these Palestinian thugs. Not true at all. They're still trying to parse out what the hell happened because there nobody, apparently two people that they spoke to saw the same thing. Um, but there was some kind of confrontation. A bunch of people said, you know, one of the Palestinian protesters did it. A bunch of people said it was the old man who did it. Or, you know, somebody hit somebody with a sign or with a a megaphone. Um, But there was no beating. And there was a shove of some kind from somebody who may have even been a third party, you know, because this was a big crowd. The man falls down and hits his head and that's how he dies. It's not good that he died. It's not good that, you know, protests are so heated that, you know, people are just shoving each other around. Um, The man who was accused of beating him to death was the one who called 911. He was the one who stayed with him the whole time to make sure that he was okay. Um, You know, he followed the 911 instructions on what to do to make sure that he was all right. He was cooperative. I think he's a professor somewhere, um, but is not being charged with murder or a hate crime. Involuntary Involuntary manslaughter and battery, I think, is what they're charging him with which they probably would not have done at all if it was not for the bullshit that was spread online about this poor old Jewish man being viciously attacked, you know, and beaten to death. And then something I'm still looking into, which happened yesterday, the day before, there's video on Twitter circulating of a supposed Palestinian mob outside of a poor innocent Jewish man's bakery, um, I think in New York City, that is now being used as a some kind of archetype of anti-Semitism. Well, I, as soon as I started seeing it go viral by the same group of people, my exact thought was, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what this is before I have one shot from a balcony of some people outside not rioting, not committing violence, not you know doing anything wrong, saying something that's not entirely clear, based on all these different things. No, it's okay. Well, turns out not even remotely what that was. It was not a group of, you know, a pitchforks with people from Palestine who were going to just attack this Jewish person. Apparently there was a bit, it was a protest. And I find the use of word protest versus, you know, mob to be interesting in this context too. Um, Because the owner had fired two of their employees because of their, you know, wanting to see their support for a ceasefire. Hmm. Um, The owner, who's also an Israeli citizen, uh, which makes this, as much as people are trying to conflate Judaism and all of Jews in the whole wide world with Israel, they are not the same fucking thing. Israel wants you to think they're the same thing. They are not. Um, There is a difference between just being a Jewish bakery owner and being an Israeli citizen who fires his employees for supporting a ceasefire, which by the way, now everybody does because Biden just decided that that's what we're going to do. And so everybody fell in line and followed the marching order. 
Um, no, no apologies to any of us who got shit for saying it the whole time, but whatever. Um, and raised money for a group that buys shit for the IDF. He did a fundraising event for a nonprofit that is specifically known for buying like fucking home kits and, and snacks and shit for IDF soldiers. So, and they, apparently they were accused of vandalism. I found out what the vandalism was. They had little uh, Palestine sticker flags and they put some of them on the glass. That was the vandalism. That is a, that is a stretch of the word vandalism. Maybe technically true, but that is not, most people think vandalism. They think they're, you know, spray, paint. spray painting something or breaking something. Breaking, yeah. Now there was like two or three stickers and I saw the picture on, on the glass. That was it. And so it's, I think like, what if, why is it that these, and nobody apologizes, um, incidents continue to be misrepresented, but yet we're all quiet and solemn when it's committed against people from the other side. And it, it is incredibly frustrating Especially uh, seeing people that I that I respect be like this kind of anti-Semitism mob of thugs, blah blah blah, and I was like, oh shit! So now we're not allowed to protest. That is, you are becoming far-right fascists. The people who have been, you know, been like, oh, we must protect democracy. We can't go into fascism, are now saying that people in New York City don't have a right to show up and protest when an supporter and fundraiser for the Israeli defense forces, which whatever, um, fires his employees for supporting a ceasefire. I mean, I remember- Well, you know the answer to this because it's what we talk about all the time, right? It's, yeah. it's well, first of all, we know with this particular issue that the tensions are high, emotions are high, and people and are literally just not thinking bad actors are capitalizing on that oh for sure i mean but i've seen i mean i've seen inexplicable responses to this because it triggers something emotional within people and if we you know kind of look back into it um even was it yuri uh havari the um the famous author from israel wrote sapiens and a bunch of other stuff recently um was talking about how there's this um part of especially Jewish, but also specifically within Israel, the culture and the education that people are brought up with is that there's been this great harm done to them and that it's going to happen again. And when you've been imbued with that your entire life, right? That everything looks like the next Holocaust, right? So oh, there's, a, there's a sensitivity to yeah, it as well. generational trauma. And that's completely legitimate. And I'm not saying that they're not legitimately afraid of that either. Um, but they're not the only people who have right. had, you know, terrible atrocities happen to them in the past. And it's not a permit to inflict, not, I won't say the same, similar types of abuse towards others um, right. without reprimand or consequence. Right. And this isn't even just an Israel problem. And, right. and that's another thing too. This is a Netanyahu regime problem. Oh yeah. Um, he was on the verge of being arrested. He's been charged with fraud and bribery and corruption and all this other. He's a bad fucking guy and has really been waiting to do exactly what he's doing. And at first we were told it was just going to be Hamas and Gaza. And then it became carpet bombing and, you know, 10,000 children. And then they started firing rockets um, into Lebanon and Syria and now they're, you know, escalating violence in, you know, Gollum Heights, the West Bank. And so it's, it's, it was never just going to be Gaza. And I think a lot of us who people are like, why didn't you say, you know, all these things were, uh, you know, in defense of Jews and stuff. I was like, first of all, I did um, for Jews, right. not for Israel, because I know who's in charge of Israel. Right. And I had an idea for where this was going to go. And to be honest, it's a lot fucking worse than where I thought it would go. That's about right where I thought it was going to go. Well, I knew that with as soon as he made the coalition government with the far right faction that is even further right than him in Israel, right? The the yeah. the pro settlement uh, faction that he had that allowed him to regain the prime minister status. We knew that something was going to happen. He had been systematically rolling back rights. Uh, 
disempowered the Supreme Court in the state of Israel. And then they made it very clear that they wanted, you know, especially once these, this conflict began, that it's, you know, it's destroy Hamas by all accounts. Um, it's level Gaza. This is the things that people were saying very routinely. Yep. Um, so I'm not surprised. I mean, and I think that people who have been following this are not surprised because it is very consistent. I mean, now th they've expanded ground operations to the entirety of Gaza. They told yep. people to move south and now there's no place safe and they're not allowing people to leave. So what's the end game here? You know, it's pretty, <laughs> you know, there, there there's really well, one thing that's happening. You can't just kill two million people. And then I remember who exactly we're talking about. Um, and yeah, that is, if anybody's a reminder of, yes, they fucking can. And they, they can do it quickly and they can do it and they're doing it apparently without actual consequences yet. Yeah, of course, the Biden administration is like, oh, you need to try to reduce civilian casualties. We have a lot more influence and power over Israel than just asking them nicely to stop slaughtering thousands of children. You know, it, it's not enough. And I'll say right now, I'm, I'll go on record saying right now that Israel walking away from the negotiations over the, the pause over uh, Thanksgiving break uh, puts the consequences from what happens here moving forward totally in their court, as far as I'm concerned, because like the details of how that works. And I don't think we're probably ever going to get the actual like private discussions that happen. Okay. So I'm I try Grow to say fuck up is my answer. You're a fucking full grown nation, right? You know how diplomacy works. And, you know, because, you know, they walked away, they walked away. There were negotiations ongoing to release more hostages and to release more hostages held by Israel. Okay. So these are imprisoned people without trial. So let's call them what they are. And they walked away from that negotiation. Now, yes, we don't know exactly what was said, but diplomacy right this is you know they're 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 an adult country frankly you know what i mean they've been around they know how to do this they have a lot of power and they walked away and instead immediately returned to bombing and expanded the campaign in gaza and so yeah i i, I do put it back on them because i do have faith in negotiations and diplomacy if it's done correctly and it's if it's done in good faith yeah, um, that brings me to another terms that matter that we're not using right. And I, because I'm writing a note, because I'm going to add like a little section words that we discussed that matter and you should always use properly. Um, or that the, you know, choice to use them is indicative of a, of a bias. Um, <laughs> and that's hostage versus prisoner. Yep. Um, well, I, I actually was not planning on talking about this shit at all today, but of course it's, you know, it's, it's a human and it does. I had a whole page written here just of hurricane season end notes, which I'll fly through very quickly. Cause I know you guys probably are like, Oh, well, everybody's always asking how accurate the models are. So I was going to break that down, but I'll do that at the very end in like five minutes. Um, <laughs> the terms hostages versus prisoners in this yeah. context uh, has been, pretty much the people that you expect uh, have been yep. them exactly how you expect them to. So a lot of people do not know anything about Israel or, you know, the last 50 or 60 years of what it's been right. doing. I've noticed that some of Israel's most ardent supporters have no fucking clue what it's actually been like there for Arabs. Right. Israel has given itself all sorts of power and um, almost unlimited power. And has for years detained, which is not a word that we have to fight over, detained um, people as young as five. Oh, and hold on. That's another term. I'm going to add the word children here real quick for another reason. Um, and charged them without trial for things like throwing rocks, which yep. can carry a prison sentence in Israel of 15 to 20 years. And so when there was a hostage exchange, which was a deliberate word choice the Biden administration chose, by choosing that terminology, they were sending a fucking message. They yep. did not say, um, you know, the Israel hostage release. They said the hostage exchange, meaning two parties right. were exchanging both hostages. Um, there were a lot of children that were released. One of them is a 12 year old boy who had been there since he was seven. 
seven um, for throwing rocks and assault of an IDF officer, which and that is like in America, something you just tackle an extra to every single arrest or, you know, resisting arrest or something like that, just so that you can, you know, charge more for bail. And usually those things get dropped. But um, they were children. Yep. And yet people were like, oh, they're prisoners. No, we're talking about people who were held without trials, right. who have spent quite a bit of time in jail, not even knowing what the charges against them are half the time for things like throwing rocks at people who are, by the way, illegally occupying their country. Um, those are hostages and they're political prisoners, which is yep. the same as a hostage and they were being exchanged. The other thing was, and somebody do, did a great comparison of this and I'm gonna, maybe I'll pull that graphic was the use of the word children, which is another word that I never thought would have a, a political uh, coloring to it. But when hostages were under the age of 18 being released from Hamas, they were child hostages. When they were political prisoners of the IDF and were under 18, they were people under 18. Or teens, I heard them called. Yes, they were teens or any other word but children. And that is another way of dehumanization, which is a big part of the bigger word that I've avoided saying this whole time, which is the G word. The genocide word? Yeah, because that is a, that is a heavy accusation. It's possibly the most atrocious thing that um, a nation or state can do. And it comes with a lot of baggage. And I did not feel like I was an expert enough on that topic to have an opinion of the G word. Um, but they certainly do seem to be, if I just went by, you know, UN definition. Textbook, yeah. Then yeah, um, that it's the G word. But um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is what we talked about before. The... A child or a hostage or a prisoner, whether somebody who is protest or people protesting outside your restaurant are protesters or a mob or terrorists, what terrorism is and what isn't. All of these word choices reflect our biases and our intentions. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Well, I mean, they use that. So the, the same argument for children that's being that you see being played out in the uh, ha Hamas, Palestinian, Israeli kerfuffle, okay? Um, we actually see play out in American media all the time, right? So oftentimes when black youth, right, are arrested or, or have something happen to them, they are identified either youth or 16-year-old or teens or something like that. Um, they're not often identified as children, but people, white people uh, are often described as children, even sometimes, or youth or young people, like even well beyond what would be described as, a, you know, under 18. Look at the way even the um, offspring of Donald Trump are described as his children. That's all a way to humanize them and to bring sympathy to their side. Whereas using this other terms and not a more enduring term like ch children uh, on a, a group that's being othered is specifically doing that to create a different sense of feeling when you hear the stories about them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the easiest way to tell what someone's, you know, implicit bias is when you're reading a story. Oh, yeah. See, in the first few sentences, how do, what terms are they choosing to use to describe the situation and these people? And if you see that early on, likely that reporter's entire story is colored by their bias. Um, that makes it very difficult to trust the media. And, you know, I am always defensive of journalists and that is why I'm so vicious in calling them out when they're wrong or when they're bad, because the work that they do, the world would not survive without. And so any person in that profession who violates the basic tenets of, you know, truth telling and, and accuracy, thoroughness, they should just be tarred, feathered and thrown the fuck out forever. Like Mark Caputo. Um, that's why I'm so viciously protective and of them. Um, 
but it does not help their fucking case when this kind of shit happens. There was a tweet by somebody at CNN, um, one of their journalists who was in Gaza, barely escaped with his children to Egypt overnight and found out that his aunt's house where everyone else was sheltering, which was supposed to be in a safe area, had been targeted by the IDF and everyone died. And in the multiple lengthy tweets by this man's colleagues, his coworkers, they managed to, you know, have like 300 word tweets without once assigning blame to Israel or the IDF, without even mentioning the IDF, you know, and that's that passive language, you know, like five children found dead, you know, blah, 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 or his house was, uh, struck by a, a missile, but will not say that it was IDF that did it. Right. Or the fact that he was a journalist and his family, you know, were connected to him was one of the reasons why he was targeted. And it, normally journalists are very protective of, of their own. And this has been the worst massacre of journalists in modern history, yep. in which they're actively being targeted and executed uh, by a foreign government. And so to see if I... If something happened to me and like my entire family was killed because of DeSantis and all my colleagues were like, oh, I'm so sad to hear that her family was murdered and, you know, and they were slaughtered and they were found and never once fucking mentioned the, the people who ordered it. I'd be pretty goddamn pissed, you know, but yeah. no, not this time because everything's different. But all right, we got to stop talking about this. Oh, I have to give the hurricane rundown. All right. So hurricane. All right. The hurricane primer. And now, since we are December 5th, hurricane season has officially ended. It ended last week on December 4th. I mean, sorry, December 1st. God, Rebecca. Um, I wanted to quickly give a rundown of what happened because we talked about how, you know, the forecast seasons looked at the very beginning. So, like, on June 1st. What was Noah saying about what we can expect for the hurricane season? What was, you know, Colorado State, which usually has the most accurate models, you know, in the world saying about what we can expect for hurricane season? And we talked a bit about El Nino cycles and how that was in direct competition with record-breaking sea surface temperatures. And we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so by the end of the hurricane season, we had a very above average season. And we had 20 named storms, seven of which became hurricanes, three of which became major hurricanes. Um, at the start of the season, because these models are so dependent on whether, you know, we're in an El Nino or La Nina phase, and El Nino usually means fewer hurricanes and less intense hurricanes over the season, NOAA had ranges of 12 to 17 named storms. There were 20 of five um, hurricanes, which there were seven, and one major hurricane of which there were three. And Colorado State was pretty close as well, but um, they projected, you know, 14 name storms and there were 20. We talked quite a bit actually at that episode about how I expected that those models would not maybe be reflective in the end because of the record-breaking sea surface temperatures. And when we look at how these models are built and the underlying assumptions, mm -hmm. no, the Enzo cycle, the El Nino cycle that we're in plays such a huge role mm -hmm. in determining outcome. And we have so much more data on that than historical sea surface temperatures and seasonality, just because of how paleoclimate data is captured and stored and analyzed that we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. And what happened was, is despite all the good sense, um, sea surface temperatures were so anomalously high, like 104, I think, degrees at one point in off the Florida coast, that it actually counteracted the impact of a global atmospheric and oceanic cycle, uh, which is impressive because it was a very high season, 20 named storms, when Colorado had 14 and Noah had 12. So yeah. they're usually really close, really right on. And they did update their metrics in August. And those huh. pretty much match what the end of the season was. But you know, by then you're already three months in, 
And so all the hurricane activity that's already occurred is baked in. And then you're basically predicting from there. Um, but yeah, it's in hurricane projection based on seasonality and, and oceanic and atmospheric interactions is going to be very challenging as if it isn't yeah. already um, over the next, uh, you know, species of humanity. Because, next iteration of us. <laughs> and I was going to like, no, just the entire species, our existence over our next existence. Um, well, I was going to say like, so I think one of the things that's very confounding for regular folks. Okay. Right. Um, to think about is that those storms, there was a lot, it was heavy and during the summer. There was a lot of action. Um, but we had, you know, here in Florida, we really had a, a Dahlia that kind of came and hit Florida it was very devastating uh, to areas of the panhandle, but there wasn't a major, another major hurricane that hit other parts of Florida or threatened them. So I think that it's very easy for people to be lulled into a sense of security and say, oh, like climate change is not real. And everybody said X, Y, and Z was going to happen because it didn't hit us specifically. Right. Um, but as you're in the United States, <laughs> uh, California would beg to differ because they've had a very bizarre um, and, and active Acapulco and yeah, you know, normally don't have active hurricane seasons in California. And that's for all kinds of reasons that are based in fucking physics. And yet, that's what happened and so it's it's happened. just i mean i've worked i've worked pretty much since graduation in the field of modeling um hurricanes over different climatic changes uh that is what my you know entire phd dissertation was on um and i'm worried uh, not just for too. the fact that hurricanes have become more frequent and more intense, you know, average 21% more rainfall um, at impact. We have the issues of rapid intensification, which, you know, lay waste to areas. If you look at the, like Hurricane Harvey, um, is the one that hit this year, experienced rapid um, intensification as well. It's not so, it's yeah. actually better storm surge that it's, it doesn't get strong until it's at the coast. But um yeah, it's, there's so many factors that we already have to consider. And for the traditional underlying assumptions of, you know, well, Enzo drives most hurricane cycles to basically just be null and void this year. Um, well, we'll have to see if that's a trend that continues and uh, come up with better models. And with that, better models will help us. Yes, um, that was. If any of you are even remotely interested, feel free to call me, and I'll talk about my dissertation topic all fucking day and night. Um, I, it was actually <laughs> using Native American sitescapes for paleotempestological record keeping to for the improvement of climate-based uh, synoptic scale climatology, which means that um, I took a lot of the work I did with Native American tribes in South uh, Louisiana, recognized that in marshland where we really don't have good records of historical hurricane analysis, people became a proxy for measuring impacts of severe storms, um, mass grave sites, you know, that were, had followed very strict and known traditions as far as who was buried, where they were buried, uh, the types of injuries that people experienced that, you know, you can tell through archeology, span the, the, what was on top of the surface of the ground when they, you know, built their borrow pit, there's a lot of stuff. I'll just try to keep it as like PG as possible. A lot of stuff in the ocean basin that is not on land that after mm. a major hurricane is everywhere on top of it, especially if you live in the storm surge. And they're basically like micro fossils that are, you know, saltwater based. So if you have a mass grave of 80 people from a tribe, the injuries are consistent with, um, you know, drowning or, the age ranges are dispersed in the way that you would expect after a hurricane. So mostly young children and old people, there's no sign of disease in the bones or famine or anything else. There's no, they're not, you know, men and women of warring and fighting age with very specific, you know, cracks here and there. You can tell those things. And especially when you have the presence of saltwater uh, microfossils, that was a hurricane event. Bones can be radiocarbon dated in a couple of years. And so if you were to apply that across the coast, you start to build a historical hurricane analog in a time period before Europeans were here, before written history, hmm. 
capturing localized storm responses during the entire Holocene. And um, so that's what my project was. <laughs> I was like, that's really cool. But like, see, here's the thing. It's like, that's very specific science, right? And like, you have this incredible knowledge on this. Uh, whereas there's a lot of people in Florida going, this year wasn't that bad because we didn't get a hurricane. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's like, why uh, we listen to people or like, I like to listen to people who know what they're talking about because your individual experience, right? So if you were here in Fort Myers, you would be like, oh, wasn't that bad of a year at all, right? You know, well, you but don't if, have two bad of years to begin with. You got like one really bad one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, year, you know how far it um, You know, the, there's, it's not, especially the like Gulf West side of Florida, doesn't normally get a lot of really bad hurricanes. And again, that's physics. Um, but you certainly, I think you've had your share for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, in fact, actually, today was the, uh, the reopening of Fort Myers Beach Elementary School. They rebuilt the entire school. It's been over a year, right? A year and a couple of months. Um, and they this is the day that they've opened the school, that the first time that the children could come back to Fort Myers Beach. Um, so yeah, no, we're not good. Like we're not, no. And actually still, I think something along the lines of, you know, 70% of the destroyed homes uh, on Fort Myers Beach have not been rebuilt or fixed at this point. So not good. <laughs> but you know it's easy to forget and if you're not living right there everything's hunky-dory again so people yeah. are very um short you know short uh short viewed what yeah say they're that? not so short viewed short. about hurricane michael and the panhandle though they don't forget that they're still living that and um it's interesting who they decide to hold contempt for for that you can't blame DeSantis; he wasn't governor yet so um, he, he can't take the blame. A lot of people blame, uh, blame Rick Scott. And that's so, good. We should blame Rick Scott for everything. Cause he's horrible. Well, I mean, he was, he was governor. So, um, when it happened and now he's a Senator running for reelection and I, I would really like to see the democratic party of Florida, which traditionally ignores these areas. Um, I know that having run there, um, from experience would like to see them, capitalize off of that animosity towards Scott. Good but, to know. Yeah. And I mean, I've, on my campaign. Also, I think people should be people aware that he really looks party. like, go ahead. I'm I was going to say, my campaign proves that in the panhandle, people will cross over party if they really don't fucking like the Republican. You can separate those two things. And even if it's just candidate centric, I was the only candidate that did that. Um, there, but I also didn't run with, you know, the, I'm a Democrat first and a everything else second kind of line. So I was going to say, also, I think people should just vote against Rick Scott because he looks like what you would imagine somebody who is trying to look human looks like that they're trying to squeeze a human suit over <laughs> their lizard body. That's yeah. what <laughs> Having met him oh, several times. It's so times. unfortunate to make fun of people's appearance. So at the same time. I usually don't, but I don't feel bad about Rick Scott because, um, first of all, he's super wealthy. And, uh, and yeah, and he, you know, the, the biggest Medicare fraud in American history. And, uh, yeah, those two things alone, like, make it totally fine for me to make fun of him and call him Governor Skeletor. So, um, because I don't really think that he's a fucking person. That's why I think he's a fucking, some sort of fucking <laughs> the evil. And like, that person right there that is not a person not a person the airplane uh, lady that is not a person right and then he turns into a blob right okay. anyway, it's a different part of airplane all right i think this episode is dwindling fast yes <laughs> yeah we've gone way over time um but uh yeah so i'll write some additional stuff up for this post especially about why you know our choices of which words we use matter so much and with the lots of examples and fun stuff i'll include some of the hurricane post analysis which i was planning on doing anyways um for the end of the season you know because that's my thing um i didn't get time to talk about the debunking desantis's poop map but i already oh, we talking about the poop back next tech next week i have a video on tiktok already of it um but okay the man brought a fake poop map to a, a debate and I just, I, I can't even, I, it took me three times filming the fact check on TikTok before I could get through it. 
I mean, it's a good thing that he wears heels because it keeps him up and out of the shit, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, and yeah, I mean, the bootgate thing. Okay, first of all, I got to apologize. When I started bootgate, I was just having fucking fun. You know, I didn't think it'd become like... It was like a whole Washington Post article, like with shoe analysis. Shoe experts and everything. And somebody referred to it as a conspiracy theory. I was like, to my credit, first of all, calling me a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Probably fine. Um, I didn't actually think he was doing it at the time. <laughs> I did not realize and did not expect you to something, though. that he was doing that. And your own experts that you called, which, by the way, is fucking crazy that you did that, all agree he's wearing lifts. So it's not a fucking conspiracy theory. But I was really just having fun. And the, the, the frosting on top of the cake of all of that is the photo that I posted that launched that whole thing was given to me by a Republican from the panhandle who thought it was funny that he looked like shit. So, you know, he knows who he is. If he listens to this, yeah. <laughs> you knew exactly what I, I told him, I said, you knew exactly what I was going to do with that photo when you sent it to me. I was like, don't pretend like, you know, this is my fault. You sent it to me for a reason and you knew I would share it. So. Here we go. Anyway. Well, good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Miss Informational Rebecca Jones. Thanks for joining us here on Miss Informational from Big Mouth Media. If you enjoyed this show, we'd love you to subscribe and get all of our content and the full-length videos for this. Go ahead and go to the plans and pricing page on the Big Mouth Media website at bigmouthmediafl.com. We're coming up on our anniversary episode and we have so much more for you in 2024 so you're definitely going to want to follow along and hey what a better christmas and holiday gift for your lefty besties than a subscription to this or any of our other big mouth media shows for $1.99 a year you can get everything that we have to offer or even just what $19.99 a month delivered directly to the email of your lefty bestie so go ahead and check out all of that on Big Mouth Media's website plans and pricing page at BigMouthMediaFL.com. I've been your co-host, Dr. Cindy Banier, and this has been Misinformational with Rebecca Jones. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.